0: chapter six of pierre and jean by guy de maupassant translated by clara bell this librivox recording is in the public domain for a week or two nothing occurred the father went fishing jean with his mother's help was furnishing and settling himself pierre very gloomy never was seen except at meal times his father having asked him one evening why the deuce do you always come in with a face as cheerful as a funeral? This is not the first time I have remarked it.' The doctor replied, "'The fact is I am terribly conscious of the burden of life.' The old man did not have a notion what he meant, and with an aggrieved look he went on, "'It really is too bad. Ever since we had the good luck to come into this legacy, everyone seems unhappy.' It is as though some accident has befallen us, as if we were in mourning for some one. "'I am in mourning for some one,' said Pierre. "'You are?' "'For whom?' "'For some one you never knew, and of whom I was too fond.' Roland imagined that his son alluded to some girl with whom he had had some love passages, and he said, "'A woman, I suppose?' "'Yes, a woman.' "'Dead?' "'No. Worse. Ruined.' "'Ah!' Though he was startled by this unexpected confidence, in his wife's presence, too, and by his son's strange tone about it, the old man made no further inquiries, for in his opinion such affairs did not concern a third person. Madame Roland affected not to hear. She seemed ill and was very pale.' several times already her husband surprised to see her sit down as if she were dropping into her chair and to hear her gasp as if she could not draw her breath had said really louise you look very ill you tire yourself too much with helping jean give yourself a little rest sacristy the rascal is in no hurry as he is a rich man she shook her head without a word but to-day her pallor was so great that Roland remarked on it again. "'Come, come,' said he. "'This will not do at all, my dear old woman. "'You must take care of yourself.' Then, addressing his son, "'You surely must see that your mother is ill. "'Have you questioned her at any rate?' Pierre replied, "'No, I had not noticed that there was anything the matter with her.' At this Roland was angry. "'But it stares you in the face, confound you!' what on earth is the good of your being a doctor, if you cannot even see that your mother is out of sorts? Why, look at her, just look at her! Really, a man might die under his very eyes, and this doctor would never think there was anything the matter!' Madame Roland was panting for breath, and so white, that her husband exclaimed, "'She is going to faint!' "'No, no, it is nothing. I shall get better directly. It is nothing.' Pierre had gone up to her and was looking at her steadily. "'What ails you?' said he, and she repeated in an undertone, "'Nothing, nothing, I assure you, nothing.' Roland had gone to fetch some vinegar. He now returned, and handing the bottle to his son, he said, "'Here, do something to ease her. Have you felt her heart?' As Pierre bent over to feel her pulse, she pulled away her hand so vehemently that she struck it against a chair which was standing by. "'Come,' said he in icy tones, "'let me see what I can do for you, as you are ill.' Then she raised her arm and held it out to him. Her skin was burning, the blood throbbing in short irregular leaps. "'You are certainly ill,' he murmured. "'You must take something to quiet you.' I will write you a prescription.' And as he wrote, stooping over the paper, a low sound of choked sighs, smothered, quick-breathing and suppressed sobs, made him suddenly look round at her. She was weeping, her hands covering her face. Roland, quite distracted, asked her, "'Louise, Louise, what is the matter with you? What on earth ails you?' She did not answer but seemed racked by some deep, dreadful grief. Her husband tried to take her hands from her face, but she resisted him, repeating, No, no, no! He appealed to his son. But what is the matter with her? I never saw her like this. It is nothing, said Pierre. She is a little hysterical. And he felt as if it were a comfort to him to see her suffering thus as if this anguish mitigated his resentment and diminished his mother's load of opprobrium. He looked at her as a judge satisfied with his day's work. Suddenly she rose, rushed to the door with such a swift impulse that it was impossible to forestall or to stop her, and ran off to lock herself into her room. Roland and the doctor were left face to face. "'Can you make head or tail of it?' said the father oh yes said the other it is a little nervous disturbance not alarming or surprising such attacks may very likely recur from time to time they did in fact recur almost every day and pierre seemed to bring them on with a word as if he had the clue to her strange and new disorder he would discern in her face a lucid interval of peace and with the willingness of a torturer would with a word revive the anguish that had been lulled for a moment. But he, too, was suffering as cruelly as she. It was dreadfully pain to him that he could no longer love her nor respect her, that he must put her on the rack. When he had laid bare the bleeding wound which he had opened in her woman's, her mother's, heart, when he felt how wretched and desperate she was, he would go out alone, wander about the town so torn by remorse so broken by pity so grieved to have thus hammered her with his scorn as her son that he longed to fling himself into the sea and put an end to it all by drowning himself ah how gladly now would he have forgiven her but he could not for he was incapable of forgetting if only he could have desisted from making her suffer but this again he could not suffering as he did himself he went home to his meals, full of relenting resolutions. Then, as soon as he saw her, as soon as he met her eye, formerly so clear and frank, now so evasive, frightened and bewildered, he struck at her in spite of himself, unable to suppress the treacherous words which would rise to his lips. This disgraceful secret, known to them alone, goaded him up against her, It was as a poison flowing in his veins, and giving him an impulse to bite like a mad dog. And there was no one in the way now to hinder his reading her. Jean lived almost entirely in his new apartments, and only came home to dinner and to sleep every night at his father's. He frequently observed his brother's bitterness and violence, and attributed them to jealousy he promised himself that some day he would teach him his place and give him a lesson for life at home was becoming very painful as a result of these constant scenes but as he now lived apart he suffered less from this brutal conduct and his love of peace prompted him to patience his good fortune too had turned his head and he scarcely paused to think of anything which had no direct interest for himself he would come in full of fresh little anxieties full of the cut of a morning coat of the shape of a felt hat of the proper size for his visiting cards and he talked incessantly of all the details of his house the shelves fixed in his bedroom cupboard to keep linen on the pegs to be put up in the entrance hall the electric bells contrived to prevent illicit visitors to his lodgings it had been settled that on the day when he should take up his abode there they should make an excursion to saint-joan and return after dining there to drink tea in his rooms roland wanted to go by water but the distance and the uncertainty of reaching it in a sailing boat if there should be a head wind made them reject his plan and a break was hired for the day they set out at ten to get there to breakfast the dusty high road lay across the plain of normandy which by its gentle undulations dotted with farms embowered in trees wears the aspect of an endless park in the vehicle as it jogged on at the slow trot of a pair of heavy horses sat the four Rolands, madame rosemilly and captain Bossier, all silent deafened by the rumble of the wheels and with their eyes shut to keep out the clouds of dust it was harvest time alternating with the dark hue of clover and the raw green of beetroot the yellow corn lighted up the landscape with gleams of pale gold the fields looked as if they had drunk in the sunshine which poured down on them here and there the reapers were at work and in the plots where the scythe had been put in the men might be seen see-sawing as they swept the level soil with the broad wing-shaped blade after a two hours drive the brake turned off to the left past a windmill at work a melancholy grey wreck half-rotten and doomed, the last survivor of its ancient race. Then it went on into a pretty inn-yard, and drew up at the door of a smart little house, a hostelry famous in those parts. The mistress, well known as La Belle Alphonsine, came smiling to the threshold, and held out her hand to the two ladies who hesitated to take the high step. Some strangers were already at breakfast under a tent by a grass plot shaded by apple-trees, Parisians, who had come from Etretat. And from the house came sounds of voices, laughter, and the clatter of plates and pans. They were to eat in a room, as the outer dining-halls were all full. Roland suddenly caught sight of some shrimping-nets hanging against the wall. "Ah "'Ah-ha!' cried he. "'You catch prawns here?' ''Yes,'' replied Boissier. ''Indeed, it is the place on all the coast where most are taken.'' First rate. Suppose we try to catch some after breakfast?'' As it happened, it would be low tide at three o'clock, so it was settled that they should all spend the afternoon among the rocks, hunting prawns. They made a light breakfast, as a precaution against the tendency of blood to the head when they should have their feet in the water. They also wished to reserve an appetite for dinner, which had been ordered on a grand scale and to be ready at six o'clock when they came in. Roland could not sit still for impatience; he wanted to buy the nets specially constructed for fishing prawns, not unlike those used for catching butterflies in the country. Their name on the French coast is Lanettes they are netted bags on a circular wooden frame at the end of a long pole alphonsine still smiling was happy to lend them then she helped the two ladies to make an impromptu change of toilet so as not to spoil their dresses she offered them skirts coarse worsted stockings and hemp shoes the men took off their socks and went to the shoemakers to buy wooden shoes instead then they set out the nets over their shoulders and creels on their backs Madame rosemilly was very sweet in this costume with an unexpected charm of countrified audacity the skirt which alphonsine had lent her coquettishly tucked up and firmly stitched so as to allow of her running and jumping fearlessly on the rocks displayed her ankle and lower calf the firm calf of a strong and agile little woman her dress was loose to give freedom to her movements and to cover her head she had found an enormous garden hat of coarse yellow straw with an extravagantly broad brim and to this a bunch of tamarisk pinned in to cock it on one side gave a very dashing and military effect jean since he had come into his fortune had asked himself every day whether or no he should marry her each time he saw her he made up his mind to ask her to be his wife and then, as soon as he was alone again, he considered that by waiting he would have time to reflect. She was now less rich than he, for she had but twelve thousand francs a year, but it was in real estate, in farms and lands near the docks in Havre, and this, by and by, might be worth a great deal. Their fortunes were thus approximately equal, and certainly the young woman attracted him greatly as he watched her walking in front of him that day he said to himself i really must decide i cannot do better i am sure they went down a little ravine sloping from the village to the cliff and the cliff at the end of this comb rose about eighty meters above the sea framed between the green slopes to the right and left a great triangle of silvery blue water could be seen in the distance and a sail scarcely visible Looked like an insect out there. The sky, pale with light, was so merged into one with the water that it was impossible to see where one ended and the other began, and the two women, walking in front of the men, stood out against the bright background, their shapes clearly defined in their closely fitting dresses. Jean, with a sparkle in his eye, watched the smart ankle, the neat leg, the supple waist and the coquettish broad hat of Madame Rosemilly, as they fled away from him. And this flight fired his ardor, urging him on to the sudden determination which comes to hesitating and timid natures. The warm air, fragrant with seacoast odors, gorse, clover, and thyme, mingled with the salt smell of the rocks at low tide, excited him still more, mounting to his brain, and every moment he felt a little more determined, at every step, At every glance he cast at the alert figure. He made up his mind to delay no longer, to tell her that he loved her and hoped to marry her. The prawn-fishing would favour him by affording him an opportunity, and it would be a pretty scene, too, a pretty spot for love-making, their feet in a pool of limpid water while they watched the long feelers of the shrimps lurking under the rack. When they had reached the end of the comb and the edge of the cliff, they saw a little footpath slanting down the face of it and below them about half-way between the sea and the foot of the precipice an amazing chaos of enormous boulders tumbled over and piled one above the other on a sort of grassy and undulating plain which extended as far as they could see to the southward formed by an ancient landslip on this long shelf of brushwood and grass disrupted as it seemed by the shocks of a volcano the fallen rocks seemed the wreck of a great ruined city which had once looked out on the ocean sheltered by the long white wall of the overhanging cliff that is fine exclaimed Madame rosemilly standing still jean had come up with her and with a beating heart offered his hand to help her down the narrow steps cut in the rock they went on in front while beausire squaring himself on his little legs gave his arm to madame roland who felt giddy at the gulf before her roland and pierre came last and the doctor had to drag his father down for his brain reeled so that he could only slip down sitting from step to step the two young people who led the way went fast till on a sudden they saw by the side of a wooden bench which afforded a resting-place about halfway down the slope a thread of clear water springing from a crevice in the cliff. It fell into a hollow as large as a washing-basin which it had worn in the stone. Then, falling in a cascade, hardly two feet high, it trickled across the footpath which it had carpeted with cresses, and was lost among the briars and grass on the raised shelf where the boulders were piled. "'Oh, I am so thirsty!' cried Madame Rosemilly. But how could she drink?' she tried to catch the water in her hand but it slipped away between her fingers jean had an idea he placed a stone on the path and on this she knelt down to put her lips to the spring itself which was thus on the same level when she raised her head covered with myriads of tiny drops sprinkled all over her face her hair her eyelashes and her dress jean bent over her and murmured how pretty you look she answered in the tone in which she might have scolded a child will you be quiet these were the first words of flirtation they had ever exchanged come said jean much agitated let us go on before they come up with us for in fact they could see quite near them now captain beausire as he came down backward so as to give both hands to madame roland and further up further off roland still letting himself slip lowering himself on his hams and clinging on with his hands and elbows at the speed of a tortoise pierre keeping in front of him to watch his movements the path now less steep was here almost a road zigzagging between the huge rocks which had at some former time rolled from the hilltop mme rosemilly and jean set off at a run and they were soon on the beach They crossed it and reached the rocks, which stretched in a long and flat expanse covered with seaweed, and broken by endless gleaming pools. The ebbed waters lay beyond, very far away, across this plain of slimy weed, of a black and shining olive green. Jean rolled up his trousers above his calf, and his sleeves to his elbows, that he might get wet without caring, then saying, Forward! He leaped boldly into the first tide-pool they came to. The lady, more cautious, though fully intending to go in, too, presently, made her way round the little pond, stepping timidly, for she slipped on the grassy weed. "'Do you see anything?' she asked. "'Yes, I see your face reflected in the water.' "'If that is all you see, you will not have good fishing.' He murmured tenderly in reply of all fishing it is that i should like best to succeed in she laughed try you will see how it will slip through your net but yet if you will i will see you catch prawns and nothing else for the moment you are cruel let us go a little farther there are none here he gave her his hand to steady her on the slippery rocks she leaned on him rather timidly and he suddenly felt himself overpowered by love and insurgent with passion as if the fever that had been incubating in him had waited till to-day to declare its presence they soon came to a deeper rift in which long slender weeds fantastically tinted like floating green and rose-coloured hair were swaying under the quivering water as it trickled off to the distant sea through some invisible crevice Madame rosemilly cried out look look i see one a big one a very big one just there he saw it too and stepped boldly into the pool though he got wet up to the waist but the creature waving its long whiskers gently retired in front of the net jean drove it towards the seaweed making sure of his prey when it found itself blockaded it rose with a dart over the net shot across the mere, and was gone the young woman who was watching the chase in great excitement could not help exclaiming oh clumsy he was vexed and without a moment's thought dragged his net over a hole full of weed as he brought it to the surface again he saw in it three large transparent prawns caught blindfold in their hiding place he offered them in triumph to Madame rosemilly who was afraid to touch them for fear of the sharp serrated crest which arms their heads however she made up her mind to it and taking them up by the tip of their long whiskers she dropped them one by one into her creel with a little seaweed to keep them alive then having found a shallower pool of water she stepped in with some hesitation for the cold plunge of her feet took her breath away and began to fish on her own account she was dexterous and artful with the light hand and the hunter's instinct which are indispensable at almost every dip she brought up some prawns beguiled and surprised by her ingeniously gentle pursuit jean now caught nothing but he followed her step by step touched her now and again bent over her pretended great distress at his own awkwardness and besought her to teach him show me he kept saying show me how and then as their two faces were reflected side by side in water so clear that the black weeds at the bottom made a mirror jean smiled at the face which looked up at him from the depth and now and then from his finger-tips blew it a kiss which seemed to light upon it oh how tiresome you are she exclaimed my dear fellow you should never do two things at once he replied i am only doing one loving you she drew herself up and said gravely what has come over you these ten minutes have you lost your wits no i have not lost my wits i love you and at last i dare to tell you so they were at this moment both standing in the salt pool wet halfway up to their knees and with dripping hands holding their nets They looked into each other's eyes. She went on in a tone of amused annoyance. "'How very ill-advised to tell me here and now! Could you not wait till another day, instead of spoiling my fishing?' "'Forgive me,' he murmured, but I could not longer hold my peace. "'I have loved you a long time. Today you have intoxicated me, and I lost my reason.' then suddenly she seemed to have resigned herself to talk business and think no more of pleasure let us sit down on that stone said she we can talk more comfortably they scrambled up a rather high boulder and when they had settled themselves side by side in the bright sunshine she began again my good friend you are no longer a child and i am not a young girl we both know perfectly well what we are about and we can weigh the consequences of our actions. If you have made up your mind to make love to me to-day, I must naturally infer that you wish to marry me.' He was not prepared for this matter-of-fact statement of the case, and he answered blandly, "'Why, yes.' "'Have you mentioned it to your father and mother?' "'No. I wanted to know first whether you would accept me.' She held out her hand, which was still wet, and as he eagerly clasped it. "'I am ready and willing,' she said. "'I believe you to be kind and true-hearted, "'but remember, I should not like to displease your parents. "'Oh, do you think that my mother has never foreseen it, "'or that she would not be as fond of you as she is "'if she did not hope that you and I should marry?' "'That is true. I am a little disturbed.' "'They said no more.' he for his part was amazed at her being so little disturbed so rational he had expected pretty little flirting ways refusals which meant yes a whole coquettish comedy of love checkered by prawn-fishing in the splashing water and it was all over he was pledged married with twenty words they had no more to say about it since they were agreed and they now sat both somewhat embarrassed by what had so swiftly passed between them a little perplexed indeed not daring to speak not daring to fish not knowing what to do volant's voice rescued them this way this way children come and watch beausire the fellow is positively clearing out the sea the captain had in fact had a wonderful haul wet above his hips he waded from pool to pool recognizing the likeliest spots at a glance and searching all the hollows hidden under seaweed with a steady slow sweep of his net and the beautiful transparent sandy grey prawns skipped in his palm as he picked them out of the net with a dry jerk and put them into his creel madame rosemilly surprised and delighted remained at his side almost forgetful of her promise to jean who followed them in a dream giving herself up entirely to the childish enjoyment of pulling the creatures out from among the waving sea-grasses roland suddenly exclaimed ah here comes madame roland to join us she had remained at first on the beach with pierre for they had neither of them any wish to play at running about among the rocks and paddling in the tide pools and yet they had felt doubtful about staying together She was afraid of him, and her son was afraid of her and of himself, afraid of his own cruelty, which he could not control. But they sat down side by side on the stones, and both of them, under the heat of the sun, mitigated by the sea-breeze, gazing at the wide, fair horizon of blue water, streaked and shot with silver, thought as if in unison, How delightful this would have been, once! She did not venture to speak to Pierre, knowing that he would return some hard answer, and he dared not address his mother, knowing that in spite of himself he should speak violently. He sat twitching the water-worm pebbles with the end of his cane, switching them and turning them over. She, with a vague look in her eyes, had picked up three or four little stones, and was slowly and mechanically dropping them from one hand into the other. Then her unsettled gaze, wandering over the scene before her, discerned among the weedy rocks, her son Jean fishing with Madame Rosemilly. She looked at them, watching their movements, dimly understanding, with motherly instinct, that they were talking as they did not talk every day. She saw them leaning over side by side when they looked into the water, standing face to face when they questioned their hearts then scrambling up the rock, and seated themselves to come to an understanding. Their figures stood out very sharply, looking as if they were alone in the middle of the wide horizon, and assuming a sort of symbolic dignity in that vast expanse of sky and sea and cliff. Pierre, too, was looking at them, and a harsh laugh suddenly broke from his lips. Without turning to him, Madame Roland said, "'What is it?' he spoke with a sneer. I am learning learning how a man lays himself out to be cozened by his wife she flushed with rage exasperated by the insinuation she believed was intended in whose name do you say that in jean's by heaven it is immensely funny to see those two she murmured in a low voice tremulous with feeling oh pierre how cruel you are that woman is honesty itself your brother could not find a better he laughed aloud a hard satirical laugh ha, ha, ha honesty itself all wives are honesty itself and all husbands are betrayed and he shouted with laughter she made no reply but rose hastily went down the sloping beach and at the risk of tumbling into one of the rifts hidden by the seaweed of breaking a leg or an arm, she hastened, almost running, plunging through the pools without looking, straight to her other son. Seeing her approach, Jean called out, "'Well, mother, so you have made the effort?' Without a word she seized him by the arm, as if to say, "'Save me, protect me.' He saw her agitation, and greatly surprised he said, "'How pale you are! What is the matter?' She stammered out. I was nearly falling. I was frightened at the rocks. So then Jean guided her, supported her, explained the sport to her, that she might take an interest in it. But as she scarcely heeded him, and as he was bursting with a desire to confide in someone, he led her away, and in a low voice said to her, Guess what I have done. But what? I don't know. Guess. I cannot. I don't know. Well, I have told Madame Rosemilly that I wish to marry her. She did not answer, for her brain was buzzing, her mind in such distress that she could scarcely take it in. She echoed, Marry her? Yes, I have done well. She is charming, do not you think? Yes, charming. You have done very well. Then you approve. Yes, I approve but how strangely you say so i could fancy that-that you are not glad yes indeed i am very glad really and truly really and truly and to prove it she threw her arms round him and kissed him heartily with warm motherly kisses then when she had wiped her eyes which were full of tears she observed upon the beach a man lying flat at full length like a dead body his face hidden against the stones. It was the other one, Pierre, sunk in thought and desperation. At this she led her little Jean farther away, quite to the edge of the waves, and there they talked for a long time of this marriage of which he had set his heart. The rising tide drove them back to rejoin the fishers, and then they all made their way to the shore. They roused Pierre, who pretended to be sleeping, And then came a long dinner washed down with many kinds of wine. End of chapter six.